Hello, welcome to Practical Life Philosophy, a podcast mainly about millennials with high-stress jobs and how we are struggling through them. All right. Hello, this is Andrew Smith. Today I have Leonard Kim. Hi, I'm Leonard. Excellent. Now, I followed Leonard for a while, specifically saw him on Quora. He has a very interesting background and some projects. Uh, Leonard, do you want to take a minute and just kind of tell us about you or what you're doing? Sure. If you've ever met that guy who got picked last for the basketball team because they had no in-depth perception and missed all the shots, that's me. If you ever wanted to um, have someone draw something and just come back with a complete nightmare of a drawing that made no sense, that's me. So I'm basically that guy that no one wants to do anything. But for some reason, over the last five years, over 600,000 people followed me. I got over 300 media features and some large publications. So I, I look at myself, I'm like, wow, so many people like following this loser. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> and people pay me now. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, Leonard, he, he's, he's not kidding. He is everywhere on all sorts of platforms. Uh, very interesting perspectives and kind of business model he, he has. Um, yeah, so I guess, Leonard, we could jump right into it. Something you and I were just talking about was, so in your line of business, to kind of be selling, it's kind of like, you know, confidence is always really important. However, you take a different perspective. You're much more open kind of about vulnerabilities and struggles. And why, why is that? So let's look at uh, three different generational gaps. When we look at our grandfather's um, time, it was very compassionate. People listened intently. They spoke from their hearts. They were their true, genuine selves. And there was all this human connection. And it was kind of amazing. Uh, fast forward to our parents' generation. It kind of moved into uh, keeping up with the Joneses game. It's like, who could get the bigger house? Who could get the bigger mm-hmm. boat? Who could get the bigger everything? Then uh, all this um, competitiveness happened where that translated to who's the better employee, who's more talented, and this and that. Now we fast forward to today, and you open up, let's just say, Instagram on your phone. Everyone's smiling, everyone's on vacation, everyone's eating amazing food, and you're sitting around looking at yourself at home. You're like, I just got in a fight with my wife, this stuff sucks, I just, uh, I'm losing my car today and it's getting taken back and I have to get something cheaper, this sucks. And then you're looking at your own personal setbacks and you're looking at this outside perfect world and there's a huge disconnect that happens we all feel inadequate like that could be the reason there's so much anxiety and depression in today's society that because we're all propelled to put our best image forward when in reality we're just getting eaten alive by the things that are attacking us and in our grandparents generation they didn't really have this problem because if they were mad they're like i'm mad i'm angry and this is why and then today we're just like can't tell anyone i'm sad i can't tell anyone i'm angry i don't know what to do and we bottle it all in and this society that we're in now with a limited actual human connection where people don't feel like they belong where people feel like outcasts because they can't shoot basketballs and have no in-depth perception like we all feel left out and even the most successful of us feel this way too Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. That definitely hits home for me because I know, so I'm not an entrepreneur right now, but I was uh, kind of back in the day and 
I know you are now. And one thing I always knew is, especially if you're like the CEO and you're leading people, you always have to project that confidence or, you know, the Steve Jobs reality distortion field or whatever, where, you know, I have all the answers. I know what's going on. Like, because if you kind of waver in your confidence, your whole team kind of picks up on that real quick, especially, you know, when you talk to investors as well. And kind of how do you balance that versus being open and also not burning out where you just realize like, man, this is not perfect. So I have to act like it's perfect all the time. It's balanced for me. I always struggled with. Yeah. And I think in society with the entrepreneur circles, especially, we've all been told that we have to put on an act. We have to put on a mask and be a certain way so we can be seen as a great leader. And if you're not an alpha personality, that's extremely difficult to do because, I mean, how many people are alphas? Not that many. And uh, the rest of us are like, oh, man, I feel this huge struggle. Am I supposed to hide it from everyone? And... If you think about it, when we're hiding what's really going on, are we lying by omission? Is that something that we're doing? Yeah. And what what potential problems could happen when you start lying and you're not being true to yourself? Like even outside of the entrepreneur world, let's just take any person. How do you treat your friend? Uh, you treat your friend a certain way, but now your friend, your close friend, your acquaintance, you treat them all differently. Now, your parents or your family, you treat your mom differently than you do your dad and your brother and your sister. Now, you take it down to work. Let's say you have a job. You might treat your boss differently than you treat your uh, direct coworker versus your direct supervisor versus your direct report. If you're an entrepreneur, you're treating everyone differently based on your one-on-one interactions. Now, what you have, and let's say you go digitally too. You're on social media. You're on LinkedIn sharing business advice there. You're on Twitter talking about who knows what. You're on Facebook sharing your family photos. You're on Instagram sharing the happiest moments of your life. What you ended up doing is you compartmentalized yourself into 50 to 100 different people. If you're Mm -hmm. 50 to 100 different people, (laughs) I mean, some people have, what, two personalities, and that's kind of crazy, (laughs) and um, they get diagnosed for something like that. But now we're we're carrying like 50 to 100 different personalities and what kind of problems could really arise from that yeah yeah fair fair point for me i kind of operate on a much smaller scale than you there's you know me kind of being a data scientist and then me being you know andrew with practical life philosophy doing outreach to people like like leonard and yeah for me it's just it's two very distinct personalities but when i do that outreach it just starts draining me because i'm naturally very introverted i prefer hanging out in the data and like when i start trying to be someone that i'm not necessarily am at least naturally like doing outreach talking to people i just it, it just like starts seeing my energy level drop and i can keep it up for a while and it always feels great talking to people but it just drains me so much and yeah, when you start having to have, to have multiple personalities, especially on Twitter, you got to be careful to not offend anyone ever and, <laughs> and all the other things. Like, yeah, it's just so hard to do all that. Right. So what if we took a different approach? Uh, what if we were able to ditch the act and be our whole selves on every single platform and every single conversation? So it's a little hard to see it when you're looking forward because 
you see a piece of yourself here, you see a piece of yourself there. But if you take a look outside and like look at it as if you were rising up above it all, you could see little pieces of yourself in all these different areas. If you were to kind of combine them all together, you'll be able to reveal your whole self. And some people think that's just the good. But the whole self mm-hmm. is your version of the good, your version of the bad, and your version of the ugly. It's combining all mm-hmm. of those elements together. And it's not looking like you're the perfect person out there. It's not looking like everything's going on in the business. I, I, I worked at startups like what, a few dec- uh, half a decade ago, a handful of them. And around that time, like, it's like, oh, yeah, everything's going great. Everything's going great. Everything's going great. Next thing you know, I'm not paying my electricity bill for six months. Um, mm-hmm. My lights go off in my home. I'm still saying everything's going great. Next thing you know, I'm getting evicted. I'm saying everything's going great. I'm living with my grandma. And then Mm -hmm. the truth is, what if I just stopped at a point? I was like, you know what? Life's really tough right now. I'm about to lose my home. I haven't paid my electricity bill for a while. I'm going to have to go and live with my grandma or be homeless. I need help. Can anyone help me in this situation? (laughs) Chances are someone's probably going to be like, here, let me come help you out. And then what I did is I kind of blocked myself from all those opportunities from coming in and uh, the help was all waiting for me. And it wasn't until I started uh, opening up, like one of my friends, Josh, who's a photographer, he's like, hey, Leonard, come hang out with me. Come hang out with me. I'm like, I can't or I'm busy. And then one day I just was like, you know what? Here's how it really is. I lost my home. I'm living with my grandma. I can't really do anything. I'm living like 30 miles away from L.A. You know what they did? They freaking drove, picked me up, brought me out, took me out, showed me a great time. And I'm like, wow, that's so amazing. And it wasn't just Josh who did that. It was a lot of other people. And I'm like, wow, this is like the secret weapon, secret tactic to really get everyone to like help you and be there for you. It's called just talking and telling people what's really going on. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. yeah so, so was that, so when that, so this was a period about five years ago. Mm-hmm. So when that was happening, were you still kind of leading a company at that time? Uh, at that time, uh, actually, no, this was 2011 when that happened, 2010 when that happened. So I guess nine years ago is <laughs> this track of time. <laughs> right. So is that, is that kind of when you were regrouping or were you trying to get some other initiatives, like get your whole like influence tree off the ground? Or is that prior to all that? Uh, this is prior to all that. Like uh, back at that time, I was working for a few startups, and what ended up happening is one day my car broke, and the owner of the company said that he would fix my car, and Ron Rodriguez said he would fix it. So he took the car over to my uh, his dad's auto shop, and then said, "Oh yeah, I'll be fixed in a month, and you'll come back to work." And that time frame, I'm like, what, um, "Is the car fixed yet? Is the car fixed yet?" Uh, six months later, he's like, you know what? I'm not fixing your car. You're going to have to pay to get it out of my dad's shop. Then his dad charged me, wanted to charge me like 4000 or $5,000 in storage fees. And I'm like, wow, that was pretty messed up, Ron Rodriguez. You're a jerk. <laughs> if anyone's yeah. in the Fontana area and looking for a realtor named Ron Rodriguez, he's not the guy to go to because that's what he's <laughs> going to do to you. Um, anyways, um, 
So I went to go look for another job. I got hired at AXA Equitable, which is a huge life insurance, Fortune 500 company. But they wanted me to take a test uh, to get my licenses. I failed the test. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, had to get another job at this company called Telefon, uh, earning about 8 to $10 an hour. And I just was so lost. I hated that job. I hated what I was doing. And I felt very broken at the time where I didn't even want to keep going on. So I kind of just gave up. Right. So, yeah, question about that. So when you're down in really abrupt space, and by the way, I've been there, not in the exact same way, different different context, but yeah, uh, in a very bad place where I'm sure it'd be difficult for us to say how bad it is on a podcast, but I, I understand what you're talking about. So, yeah, so I've been there, very rough spot, especially employment-wise. And yeah, Leonard, a question I had for you in that situation where you're always kind of a seller, you're always selling yourself, showing high confidence, um, or specifically, you know, when you're applying to jobs, you have to put your best foot forward, act like you know what you're doing. How did you balance that at that time with what was really going on in the rest of your life where things really weren't going great? Well, I mean, if you fast, if you track back to that time period, uh, you would probably have been lying uh, through my teeth with every single word that I was saying trying to pretend that everything was going right. Uh, later in my career, I heard that it was very important to be honest in interviews, so I kind of went on to the other spectrum where I just talked about all the bad things I did and things like that. Obviously, that didn't work. But um, as time progressed, there became like this even medium ground. And if you really think about it, uh, there's different levels of exposure, and I'd, I'd say there's five different ones. Level one would be something as simple as like spilling coffee on your shirt. Uh, level three could be like a, losing your girlfriend of two years. Level four could be a failed business, a divorce, or something of that nature. And level five would be the things that you wouldn't share, like things that would be... Um, uh, not uh, not entertaining to a potential inter- employer, like maybe like drugs or something like that. Yeah. Also, all mm-hmm. from like sex, religion, and politics. Right. And when you take those five levels of exposure, what you have to kind of do is you have to figure out how to balance the good and the bad and your version of the ugly and tie it all together where you're showing a more comprehensive uh, image of who you are. I recently went up to uh, San Francisco this last two weekends ago, and when I was at San Francisco, I was speaking at Salesforce, and now Nally saw he invited me, and her husband, Alex, uh, he works at one of Cisco's companies. Uh, he, they're both from France, and they moved here recently, and he was unemployed for a while. One, one of the things that Alex did was... Um, he heard all this mumbo jumbo, like you have to fake it till you make it. And he thought that was the way that things in America work to really get a job. Uh, he got an interview at this company. And uh, when he went in to go interview with uh, Cisco's uh, smaller division, he was like, hey, you know what? I, he started the interview like this. He's like, I've heard so many people out there in America say that what you have to do to make it in a career is you have to fake it till you make it. I'm French. I'm completely not, not like that. So if that's something I'm going to have to do in this interview, I'm just letting you know I just can't do that. I'm just going to be myself. And his, uh, the person who interviewed him was so floored by his response that, guess what? He ended up getting the job. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's always kind of hard to, when you're being interviewed, especially when they ask the question, why do you want this job? 
It's like, well, I don't know. I'm fond of paying rents, but you can't really say <laughs> that. So, <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it might have some variance. Like, yeah, some people would appreciate it and some, some would not. But yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's an American thing where always confidence, always macho, especially when you get to the more the business facing roles. It's like, man, but what if I'm not naturally like that? And yeah, trying to find that balance you were talking about, it's kind of a, I think an acquired skill. Yeah, but then again, if you look at the uh, world today and you turn on the news and you look at anything that's going on at these big companies, they're so focused on employee satisfaction nowadays. Um, the people who were bullies have been like exiled or put on blast by the media. And then it's becoming a more uh, diverse culture where people are really looking for a place that has compassion, empathy, a place that... Uh, kind of feels like family and that's what's the cult that culture is what's kind of being derived into all of these companies nowadays the larger the organization the more emphasis that they have behind this because um aside from like the lawsuits and bad press it's just good business when people are happy and motivated at work when they're there's inclusion and diversification within the organizations things just tend to grow so if you think about where society is nowadays it really has changed a lot from 10 years ago where you could walk into a company you could be more of your true authentic genuine self and you could really go out there and make those connections and land a job and i think what we have right now is a lot of fear where people are scared of opening up scared of sharing those other sides of them because they think we're still living in that old world and that's no longer the case. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I just wonder, yeah, kind of finding the, the, what do you do if you have an interviewer who's like, I don't know, a hardcore HR always need to be positive and they kind of have a checklist. And I guess if you run into one of those, you just, I don't know, maybe do you even want to not work that company at all then? Uh, that might be one thing where you just don't want to work at that company because are you even going to be a culture fit? Are you even going to be happy? Right. Then right. there's the, there's the other side of it where it's like, everyone's okay going like second or third or fourth when someone opens up and becomes vulnerable. Like you probably see in a situation where someone's like, Oh no, like I just uh, lost my ex in the lake or something. I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> and someone's like, Oh, Oh me too. I had something similar like that happening. Then the next person hops in and they're like, Oh yeah, this happened to me too. And, um, I know one guy like he was real, he was having a difficult time, uh, getting uh he wanted to be a parent and then like he didn't open up about that and he thought he was the only one having that certain situation because no one talks about their difficulties with uh fertility and then when he opened up one day about it and said oh um uh, me and my wife are having difficulty with this all these other people started dming him and messaging him saying oh yeah me too me too me too i've had that same problem so if you're first uh then naturally what ends up happening is the other person feels kind of obliged to be second. So if it's an interviewer, sometimes they'll even take off their mask and share their vulnerability with you too. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So along those lines for current struggles that you and or I am dealing with. So I have some things that I'm struggling with. Did you want to go first or me go first? 
Um, I mean, if you want to know about my day yesterday, let's just read over this tweet I shared yesterday, uh, just to kind of give you a perspective of what my life was like. And I'm talking slow because I'm clicking three screens. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, what did I write? So this sums up my last week. I deleted my email list on accident. My personal website got corrupted. Um, I had to return my car yesterday. I had to move desks, which means I had to throw away a ton of stuff that was in it. I had three clients who weren't renewing their contracts, which is kind of sad because they paid a lot of my bills. Um, I had pushback on a project uh, that I've been working on for the last year. I've been handed a ton of harsh deadlines uh, from my publisher where they wanted 15 things done by um last Monday and they told me about it midweek. I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I was working all weekend. I felt that I've been pulled in too many directions. I've lacked sleep and I've been uh, having fights with my business partner, Ryan, and my wife, Angie, at home. And I'm like, what's next? I need to go hide under a rock. I have 131 (laughs) comments on this post and it was posted 18 hours ago. I have 14 retweets and 190 likes. So a lot of people are coming out of the woodworks to kind of say that they're going through the same thing. Now, shame on me because I didn't also take the time to list out the good side of the things that were going on in my life. I zoomed in and went straight to the negative. What I should have done is thought, oh, yeah, I had an amazing call with someone who works at Amazon who's probably uh, going to sign on as a client. I have another great person who we're going to close deals with who just had a baby and they're in the co-working space. I just went to go speak at Salesforce and had a full packed room where everyone was excited about what's going on. I just picked up 50 uh, positive book blurbs on the new book that I'm releasing in October called Ditch the Ad, Reveal the Surprising Power of the Real You for Greater Success. I just... um, I just had, I don't know, I, I just have a lot of positive friends who were there to come and support me at my times of needs. I just went straight for the negative instead of thinking of the positive. And um, I guess that's just something that I have a challenge with every now and then. And the reality is there's a lot of great things that are happening right now, too. And it's just when you just get in that moment, you kind of just zoom in and focus on the negative. And I had to talk to uh, my former boss, Christopher Bazin, um, who I worked with over at Keck Medicine. Like, um, kind of like that environment that I talked about, where you're going out there and you're building these deep relationships with people and you're starting by opening up and being first. Uh, We worked together for about three years and he opened up about his hardships. I opened up about my hardships. Uh, even in the first interview, I just talked to, I was completely vulnerable and open about who I was and what I was doing. He supported me on my side projects. He supported me on Influence Tree. And even after he left the company, guess what? We ended up being friends and he's there texting me, even though we're not working together anymore, saying, dude, you're focusing on the wrong side of the list. Think about both sides. And we had that genuine friendship. He invited me to his wedding. Uh, we're going to go watch movies at his house. And I think when you go out, there and you break down those barriers because every single person has their guard up once you start 
getting people off their guard by getting off your own guard yourself and wearing your heart on your sleeve, then what ends up happening is you open up the opportunity to create these deep relationships with others. And that's what really moves the needle in life. I think I kind of ranted when went a little too far when you wanted to share your problem. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, one thing I can definitely relate to is the fixating on negatives. Where for me, yeah, yesterday I got completely smoked where... Um, there, yeah, there were good things, but there were bad things, specifically dealing with hassle items. You know, like, for example, um, there's this old ring I have to sell. Um, and that's just, you know, dealing with, you know, online jewelry stores or whatever. There's always that type of mentality to kind of walk through the, you know, their process, their whatever, their rules, their game, and just other things like that. That's so opposite of how I usually think, like, you know, doing data science, you have to be creative, innovative, and find new rules, find new relationships and data. And like for me, I just got thrown off my game so much because there's just one thing after another where there were positives, but the negatives were just, I was actively fixating on them. And then even when I noticed I was fixating on it, I had a very difficult time disengaging from it. Even though I wouldn't actually be thinking about it, my subconscious would still be running some garbage process saying, hey, there's this really there's this really annoying problem that has a really low dollar value that you need to spend a ton of energy on. <laughs> I just got smoked by that yesterday. And I know all the different reasons you're not supposed to do that. I know that I know I shouldn't be mad at myself and all that. But still, I guess I think my buffer just got overwhelmed where like I, I have some decent mental discipline. I've been working on that the last few months, but once in a while, I just can't handle the amount of neg negativity and I just lose the perspective. So like in your situation, you're able to bounce back and say, okay, there's a lot of positives that outweigh the negatives. In my situation, it's more like there's a ton of negatives. I just need to go to bed. Yeah, well, that's how I felt yesterday where I did need to go to bed because I still felt that way yesterday. But I mean, today I'm fine. I'm talking to you. I don't really feel like I'm down and out. But that could be because I expressed my frustrations out into the world. People offered their help. People offered solutions. People said you could get through it. People said, oh, yeah, this is only temporary. Like having that kind of support system there, um, that could be a huge reason why I'm able to bounce back and recover so quickly. But you can't really make those support systems unless you're out there sharing your struggles with others so they know about what's going on. Right. And yeah, for me, I have a uh, much smaller support structure than you do. So yeah, for me, and that's kind of by design where yeah, I wish I had a bigger network, but that involves talking to people and I, I don't like that. So yeah, for me, I, it's kind of more of a, well, not on my own, but a lot of it's like, all right, I guess I know that my discipline needs to be higher to account for the fact that I don't have that natural support structure. And usually I'm okay, but once in a while, it's just so many things happen that I get overwhelmed and I just have to disconnect. And yeah, I guess like you, I am okay now. Like today I feel fine, but yesterday I felt like I was never going to feel fine again. I was just like, oh my gosh, after all the progress I was trying to make the last few months to specifically maintain my mental perspective to just lose it all. But yeah, fortunately today I'm back in the game, but it, it did not feel like that yesterday. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Yesterday, all I wanted to do was just crawl up in a ball and cry, even though all these positive things were happening. And sometimes you just get pushed to your limits. So you really have to figure out what your limits are. Now, the other thing is you don't actually have to go out there and go and talk to a lot of people to build out these support networks. You could just put your uh, how you feel out into the ethos and to like Quora, Medium, LinkedIn, whatever it may be, Facebook. And then people are naturally going to come back and comment. And 
Right. And that's not necessarily talking to someone one-on-one. So there's other ways to do it if you're more of an introverted personality because me calling a friend, I don't know if I would really do that just because I'm more introverted too. But me going out there and just typing about my difficulties is going to be something I could do. And it goes out there and then stuff happens and it's like, cool. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it, it's a process. <laughs> So yeah. I guess we just do, do our best. <laughs> cool. So yeah. one other item I wanted to talk to you about related to all this um, is burnout. Um, is that something that you've had to deal with recently or in the past or not at all? Or what, what's, what's your relationship with burnout? Well, normally what I do is I keep my schedule at something where it's very maintainable. Oh, where I work maybe 50 hours a week and I'm able to balance everything, spend a lot of time having fun and doing the activities that I love. Uh, recently in February, my wife decided to leave her uh, job because of uh, uh, workplace bullying and misogyny and she took a step down from her role. And mm. that took a huge uh, hit on our household income when I guess close to half of the income's no longer coming in. Mm. And that meant we had to like downsize the car, which I did yesterday. So I'm carless for a week where I had to go find another car. Mm-hmm. Um, that means we're going to have to move out of our apartment soon and go live with mom because we have other business expenses we have to cover, like hiring a publicist and all this other stuff. And if you probably uh. interview the publicists, they're pretty expensive. Mm. Um, and it costs probably as much as rent. <laughs> so <laughs> um, there's a lot of things that we have to do. And I think in these last few months since February after my wife quit, is I've kind of had to push myself to work about 80 hours a week. And I'm the type of person who operates well on about 50, and they kind of know that. So I've experienced a lot of burnout lately. And a lot of the struggle is just because I've been trying to like scrape by for that lost income. And some of it's about to come in, so that's great and everything. And I can scale down on my work uh, output. But when you kind of get to the burnout point, you have to know absolutely how many hours it is that you hit when you burn out and go and scale back five to 10 hours below that and not pass that trust threshold. Or you're just going to constantly cycle out and burn out. And um, I guess Mm -hmm. it's like burning the fuse. You can't recapture that fuse. It's already burned and it's already gone. So... Uh, you kind of lose a ton of momentum when you try to go and light the fuse again. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's interesting. The I think it's also kind of an American thing too, where I mean, if you're not working 80 hours, especially if you're in startup land, you know, it's it's like, well, why aren't you? Why aren't you passionate? I know it's not like that as much now, but I know five, ten years ago, it just like reading about whatever bloggers say, it was definitely more equated to the more hours you put in, the more passionate you are. You kind of wear it as a badge of honor. And it's like, man, there's just a huge difference between the number of hours you work and your productivity. And like, you just hit diminishing returns so fast, like maybe not at the one day or one week level, but when you zoom out to the you know one month or more level, when you start, like, I mean, if you're doing something creative, like in your industry or something where you need to be innovative, your biggest asset is your brain, like your ability to think outside the box and solve problems that people hadn't even seen before. But when you've pushed yourself so far, or when I have as well, it's like, man, the thing I'm most valuable at, I just can't do anymore because I've pushed myself so hard. And how do I recover? Yeah, I, I think no one could push themselves creatively at 80 hours a week. 
And the biggest asset that you really have is going to be your sleep, getting that rest, getting uh, that recovery. And I think one of the things that I really found is I need to sleep from like 12 a.m. or midnight to about 7.30 in the morning. And if I don't get that much sleep, I turn into kind of like a monster in the day. (laughs) And it's very good to avoid me on those days because I'm not really friendly to anyone. But if you really think about it, like with people like Gary Vee and all these people saying, oh, you got to go and hustle hard, hustle hard, hustle hard, then why are people who work for VaynerMedia running to their panic room to go ball their eyes out? It's like... Push up, push up, there's cause reaction, and then it's going to cause people to break down. And do we want to continue living in that society where we're depressed, anxious, and things like that? Or should we live at a level of comfort? Uh, someone, a founder who's putting in 50 to 60 hours a week, is going to probably get better results than the founder who's putting in 90 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that, you know, over the short term, like if you have a deadline or something highly urgent, then yeah, there are exceptions to apply. But I think when you do that extra hours over the long term, I think anything longer than a week, it's just like, man, I think you just hit diminishing returns so quickly. And I think it's a a counterintuitive lesson that some people who always just know they keep hustling all the time. I don't know how easy it is to learn that lesson until you actually have burnt out hard. I hate um, deadlines. It's like they're imaginary dates that people put in your calendar that don't mean anything. Like, what happens if you send something in on June 20th instead of June 15th? Like, what really happens? What's the real fallout? Like, does the world yeah. stop? Yeah, it, no, that's a fair point. Cause then, <laughs> and, and, yeah, it's, it's like for people who impose deadlines, I'm not sure if they might have a different way of looking at the world where they're more process oriented, where it's not as much how high quality is the work. It's is the work done. Therefore, I can have a checkbox. And it's like, well, in the business world, especially an entrepreneur, it's not like that. You know, it's like, well, no, quality matters way more than did I get it delivered on June 15th versus June 20th. But sometimes when you work with other people or clients like yeah they don't necessarily look at it that way yeah it's interesting but you know a deadline is not really that important um, mental health is a lot more important than putting something that could take two to three days longer i've come to find that if someone gives you a deadline that you can't meet and you communicate that you can't meet it and why you can't meet it they usually end up giving you more time anyway so uh, that's another thing that comes with ditching the act and revealing your whole self by letting people know what you could realistically take on if you're going out there and saying yeah 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 i could do it and you're putting on the act still uh, usually people just don't have any compassion when it comes to you hitting their deadline if you can't hit their deadline and you're open and vulnerable and honest about it and explain why and how much time you really do need people usually take comfort in that and they're like sure here's a few extra days right yeah fair fair point so that's all i had is there anything else uh, you wanted to discuss no, no. You said you were going to get really deep into your um, mental struggles. Um, <laughs> did you? Did you? <laughs> Fair enough. So, okay, I'll talk more about what happened yesterday. So, um, and I, unfortunately, I have to be a little careful because of my current employment of how much um, I, I can say. Um, I, I will say that um, when dealing with um, like hassles or struggles, for specifically, it's a high urgency, low priority item stuff like that just makes me 
want to have to take a huge step back and say, well, well, wait a minute, do I want to be doing this at all? Should I just quit my job and just basically say, you know, screw it, I'm moving to Wyoming and just disconnect everything and just focus on what, what I care about, which would probably just be pure data science. And when, when that happens, I, it, it's hard for me to have the perspective to take a big step back and say, well, wait a minute, there's a reason why I'm in my current situation. Like overall, even though right now it feels terrible, there are some things that can be um, done to maybe improve the situation a little bit. And it's just in that situation, trying to f- keep myself from panicking, it's basically keep myself from picking up the phone and like severing all ties with all my current business things. It, it's, it's tough to do that. Like yesterday I almost broke my mouse um, slamming it because of how upset I was with the specific little maintenance item I had to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, I, the thing that really hurt me then it's, it's just cause of some training thing that I had to complete a certification and like something like that is the quintessential. You can't win. You can only not lose. And it, there's yeah. a deadline associated with it. So just completely opposite to the stuff that, to the games I want to be playing. Right. Yeah. And when I deal with stuff like that, I, I usually don't get angry. It's just kind of a confluence of events. I don't even know what it was. I just lost it. And I was slamming my mouth. I was shouting. And I really don't do that often. And the thing that made it worse is I, I realized I knew that my my mental state was just garbage. And so then I started beating myself up more for how garbage my mental state was. And that kind of uh, positive feedback loop, except it was bad, that kicked off fast. And then I kept going. It's like, well, wait, no, I'm almost done. But I just kept burning through more and more energy or discipline reserves or whatever you call it. And then at the end of like, you know, a half hour, I was just smoked. Like I was just completely done, out of commission for the rest of the day. And like, that's something where the, it wasn't the particular training I was doing. It wasn't my reaction to it and that I was angry. It wasn't that um, I got angry that I was being angry. It was the confluence of all that where, yeah, that's the process I'm trying to work on. I guess what I try to do in the future is maybe identify that earlier, take a step back earlier. But I just kept pushing myself saying, man, you know, I'm almost done or I'm already I'm already in it. It already sucks. Let's just keep going. And I thought I could handle it and I couldn't. Well, what I've come to find is we hit a point where so people want things from us and that's just inevitable. Even if you go hide under a rock, some, someone's going to come and ask you for water one day and you're going to have to give it to them. (laughs) And, um, so people want things from us and that's an inevitable. And then there's how much you could really take on and there's a threshold for that. And once you hit that threshold, anything that comes after that, it could just be someone asking you to go on a walk with them. It could be someone asking if you could pick up something that they dropped. Whatever it may be, that's going to be, uh, since you hit your threshold, anything that comes up after that becomes your breaking point. Uh, one of the things that I've found really works is knowing what to say yes to and what to say no to, and then start implementing that no's and saying, no, I can't do it. And then start recapturing some time to really... Uh, nourish yourself and um, treat yourself well go eat a nice meal go spend some time in nature things like that or go cry (laughs) and get it out your system but don't just hold on to it all a lot of what you're doing is you're holding on to what what's going on and because you're holding on to it it's allowing it's allowing you to get to that breaking point where you could just snap and let all that frustration out uh, because it just pents up and builds up like um if you slowly yeah. roll it out and maybe put like a tweet here and there or write a little Facebook post about your frustration, you're just getting it out. And um, start with like level one stuff, like dropping something on your shirt or something like that so you're not carrying all that weight. 
and get those level twos out. Uh, another thing is um, in my book, I came across a study that I included into my book that said writing about past failures makes you more resilient and it increases uh, the, uh, or lowers cortisone, which is your stress hormone. I'm not mm. really a research person, but Interesting. Um, when you start writing about it, it makes you more resilient for the next one and the next one that comes about. So um, also lets you really think about it. It really lets you see what's going on in the situation. And then when you start doing it, you're able to handle more and more things in the future. Mm-hmm. That Yeah, that's interesting. And um, th- a lot of the stuff you're saying, it's like I'm mentally aware of, but it's like, can I actually apply it? You know what I mean? And it's like, I can apply it when I have a certain amount of discipline or whatever that energy level is, but then I push myself a little too far. I just lose all discipline and I just do all the ne- negative mental stuff I know I shouldn't do. And it's just so hard to know when I'm close to that point or stop that process because I know I'm past that point. Are you on your computer right now? Yes. Uh, pull up Facebook. All right. Cool. Uh, type in, uh, open up your status. Uh, okay. Type in this. I had a really rough day yesterday. Okay. I kind of broke down because I hit my limit and it was really scary because I wanted to go and hide under a rock and disappear. Okay. Today I feel a lot better, but I don't want to ever have this happen again. Okay. What are some things that you guys, or some things that y'all do that help you in the situation to cope better? Has anyone experienced something similar to this? Okay. Okay. Yep. Take that post, uh, post it, and copy and paste it on your other social networks like LinkedIn and this and that. Okay, I'll take me a minute to do, but okay. Yeah. Okay, cool, all right, so let's assume, let's assume that I'll do that. Okay, was that hard? It's, it's different, right? Cause it's, I'm definitely not usually in that mode. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a different way of looking at things. Okay, so now let's say as these thoughts appeared, you start sharing those, but that doesn't mean you stop sharing the good moments, and that doesn't mean you stop sharing the fun moments. You just include this into the mix, because what ends up happening is if you share like a level four exposure as it happens, everyone's going to be like, oh, person's having a breakdown, got to go run away, can't help them, don't want to get involved in that mess. But then if they start seeing you as an even person who's going out there and sharing good moment, bad moment, okay moment, kind of bad moment, kind of great moment, really bad moment, really great moment, and then, oh, horrible thing then, then people are going to be like, oh, wow, you, you experienced something like that. Let me come and help you. And then because it doesn't look out of place. Right. So basically what you have to do is you have to take your regular life and make it as congruent as possible as your digital life. That, yeah. And that's going to be, that's going to be a process for me. Cause that's a, that's a, not a natural way for, that's not how I would naturally look at things. So I'll, I'll have to work on that. 
Well, we're kind of moving into that just to give you some idea is um, for people in our age ranges, we kind of had to adapt technology and learn how to use it. A kid who's 15 years old right now, they're fully integrated with technology and it's an extension of who they are. So uh, if we look at it from the long term, this is how the world's going to end up because next thing you know, when these people are 30, that's going to be how the world is. And it's good to get prepared now than to be like, oh, wow. Um, I missed my opportunity to really go out there and do this when I could have. Right. Interesting. All right. Always interesting perspectives from Leonard Kim. Uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely hadn't been thinking about it before that way. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I think we're really in a phase and era where we need to really document everything. Like um, Soja Boy went on to an interview on the breakfast club or some show and then he's like yeah i was the first youtube rapper i was this i was that and then, like <laughs> we, we ended up <laughs> uh, we're kind of in this time where everyone's like first youtube rapper yeah yeah right right like we're, we're in a very skeptical society where no one actually believes us when we say the things that we do. And it doesn't have to be Soldier Boy who's saying it. It could be anyone who's saying it. And then you have to really think about it. What are people going to do? They're going to Google it to make sure it's true. So since that's uh, how society is really driven now to be a little bit more skeptical, uh, we really need to have all those things kind of documented. Now, if you want to flip it to the other situation, uh, now... There's probably, like, let's say your breakdown yesterday. Let's say you held that in and never shared it, and you decided to hold on to it forever and keep it private. Could, mm -hmm. could your employer use that breakdown in the future to fire you? Um, it, it depends. So in this case, no one, I was able, like, no one saw anything. Mm -hmm. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't an issue. Um, however, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it always gets tricky in that regard where, yeah, it's easy to lose a lot in that situation. Yeah, and then, like, uh, you've heard of George Bush, right? Yeah. Like, uh, when he ran to become president, he put his entire reputation, he put his whole life, everything he's ever done in his life to have that moment to, hit, to get into that seat at the White House. Uh, he didn't reveal his DUI beforehand and tried to hide it and bury it. And when he tried to bury his skeletons, guess what happens when you try to bury something? They pop back up like it's the walking dead and come back and haunt you. And then uh, the media started talking about this DUI and he almost completely lost everything that he worked his entire life to achieve just because he didn't go out there and share uh, one of the things that he had hidden in his, um, hidden, mm -hmm. uh, one of his skeletons that he wanted to hide. Mm -hmm. uh, now, on the other hand, when Barack Obama was asked, have you ever done cocaine before? He's like, yep. Guess, who, guess what was never used against him? <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, and if you really think about it, uh, do you watch that TV show Billions? Um, I, I've seen probably like 10 episodes of it across a few seasons. And once you're at season four and you watch episode four, you're going to see how when people are holding that against you, holding those things against you, how if you come out ahead of it first, it just works for the better. Right. Yeah, it's, it, ta it, and, it, takes, it takes some boldness to be that, that upfront about it, but I can see where over the long term it could be the better way of doing it. 
Uh, no, it takes some building up to to be confident and sharing that. It doesn't take boldness. It just takes doing the small things. Like I spilled coffee on my shirt to slowly get the courage to do more and more. It's like it's like it's like weightlifting. You have to kind of like do the little five poundings before you can do the ten poundings to the fifteen poundings, mm-hmm. and you kind of work your way up there. But imagine if no one could like hold anything against you anymore. How how would your life be? Oh, man, I have to think about that because um, I generally keep a low profile in general, but I definitely know there's some people who don't like me. So, yeah, um, it, it'd be it'd be different. I have to think about how, though. Yeah, I mean, you're doing this podcast, so you do go out there and stuff. Yeah, it's there's also kind of the asymmetric risk reward where depending on kind of how you do your main business, the uh, <laughs> The stuff that people could do to um, support you versus the stuff they could use against you, it's, um, yeah, it might vary a little bit by industry. Um, there's more support you get out of There's not that many conniving people in the world. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 just, I mean, they do exist, and mm. it looks like there's a lot because the media portrays them all the time. That's true. So, but yeah. when you compare it to the general population, it's extremely minimal. Like maybe 2.5% of the population is very conniving. 90% of it's just like, oh, yeah, we're just floating around. We want to connect. And yeah. then 2.5% is like out there giving their odd to the world. So Right. Yeah, and what, what I was specifically thinking about is on Twitter, if you just say anything that's not 100% politically correct, you will get barbecued. But it's like that's not who most of the Twitter users are. It's just once in a while that very vocal small minority, they will go nuts on you. So that, that's my main type of concern. Yeah, I think it sounds a little scary to tread into somewhere. So that's why you kind of have to ease into it. Right. right. You want a blueprint on how to do it? <laughs> sure. Okay, I'll email you my book. <laughs> oh, wow. I appreciate that. It's yeah. a, I would be interested, I mean, just the few little examples you mentioned, I, I would be more interested in seeing kind of what, what else you have going on there. So, yeah, I definitely look forward to that. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising. Like, uh, a lot of people are scared to share, like, their struggles. But, like, kind of like how I opened up about how horrible my day was yesterday, did you feel a little more comfortable opening up about yours? Absolutely. Yeah. When someone else is opening up, it's like, okay, now we're kind of on the same page and all right, we're not both trying to be perfect. So yeah, let's just talk about what's really going on. Yeah. So now if you went first, how would others react to you? Uh, yeah. In most cases, it'd probably be something comparable. Um, there are some people who just are not good people where I could have a different experience, but I think for the vast majority of the time, it would be, we would both open up more. Yeah. Well, the great thing about the internet and us being in a flat society is that uh, when you go out there and you share your vulnerabilities, it's like putting out a homing beacon into the internet so others who are just like you come and appear so then you can create your own tribe, build your own camaraderie within the group of people who actually support you. Because now your audience isn't just the 500 people that you see at work and uh, on your daily basis. It kind of expands to 300, 500, I don't know, how many people are in the world a lot <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and then um now imagine if there's like uh 20 people who are very similar to you banded together and you create this little group and you start chatting about your issues that's a healthy environment to have a small little support group like that i agree and yeah there's just a lot of potential that really comes out of it and i mean 
if you what Brene Brown says is when you open up about your uh, vulnerabilities, what I see in you is strength. I see boldness. I see fearlessness. I see all these great traits about you, right? Mm-hmm. But then when I think about opening up about that, what I see is I see weakness. I see shame. I see all the bad sides to it. Mm-hmm. But then if I see that as courage in you, that when you do it, that means that when I do it, that's really what I'm doing. I agree. And that's a, that's a very counterintuitive way to look about things. Because I think although a lot of us would agree with what you're saying, if we just look at how a lot of society functions, a lot of people don't do that. And it's like, if more people kind of had that perspective like you're talking about, uh, <laughs> it seems like, yeah, we could be in much better shape. Yeah, I mean, look at Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo, his dad <laughs> isn't the most interesting person in the world. But why the hell do we pay attention to him? It's because he shares his journey of how he goes and meets Dory, how he becomes friends with her, even though she doesn't remember anything he's saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, He goes out there and he rides turtles. He goes out there and almost gets eaten by a shark. We watch him for the journey and we're entertained. We're like, wow, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And you take these people who aren't, like, I guess I'm kind of like Nemo's dad. I'm not the most amazing (laughs) person in the world. I'm not that interesting. But people pay attention because, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that, that is definitely something that kind of, when I was looking at your writing, when I first heard about you years ago, you were writing about stuff like, like corporate branding, which is one of the most polished fields, right? But the way you were talking about stuff was not like that. It was much more kind of open and like, okay, I can actually see myself hanging out with Leonard as opposed to, you know, if I'm going to hang out with Leonard, I need to be in a three-piece suit, you know, drinking expensive coffees with a briefcase. Like, but I, I do see what you're talking about. Yeah, then let's take the other side of, of it. Like, um, how, how well do people connect with a corporate brand? Uh, a lot less well than the corporate brands probably think they do. Exactly. So what if you were to take the people and put the real people in front of the corporate brand and made multiple people the faces of the brand? Yeah, that'd be, I think you'd have a lot of people who've been working there at the company for 30 years having a silent heart attack saying that's all, it's just not how we do things, even though that might be the right way to do things. Yeah, my friend um, uh, Joe Martin, he's formerly known as Adobe Joe, uh, he put up the exact same ad, uh, same copy, same image, same intro, same everything, right? He put it up from the Adobe account, and he put it up from his personal account, and he put Mm -hmm. the same budget behind both of those ads. Guess which one got clicked on more? The personal account? Yeah, that one got 10 times more clicks. That's interesting. Is that, do you think, so are we going to start seeing more of that or is that more of an isolated thing or? Well, I mean, I'm the one who knows how to do this. So if more people call me, then yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, If no one calls me, then no. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very um, true. There's not that many people who actually know how to actually do this. Yeah, so I, I know a 10x difference, especially in cost per click land, is huge. I mean, you have people killing themselves over if you just reduce your cost per click by like 20%. And talk about oh, yeah. percent, like, man, that, that would be substantial. <laughs> right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because there's, cool. industri- there's entire industries built around that. How do you reduce your cost per click by like 30%? And they're worth like multi-billions now. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, just something to think of. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, so we, I think, are at our time limit. Any other uh, thoughts or comments? Well, what are you going to do today? 
I have to go back and do some hardcore data analytics. What are you going to do after that? Um, I'm going to go to the gym and then probably try to eat some oatmeal with um, whole grain oatmeal. And then um, to be determined. Why don't you just go to like the beach or somewhere else instead and go relax after you're done with your data stuff? That is something I've been trying to do more, just get around outside, walk more in nature. I've been doing a little of that, not as much as I'd like to, but just for you, I will do more of that today. Okay, let's do that. Skip the gym and go and actually be, go enjoy yourself. After work, go and enjoy yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I will do that. Okay, and I'll do the same, and anyone who's listening to the show should do the same too. All right, you heard it from Leonard. Very good. All right. Thanks, Leonard. Anytime. Bye. All right. That's it. Thank you for listening. I'm Andrew Smith, and this is Practical Life Philosophy.